Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark, but we also want to encourage you, if you live in the area, go to brave.church slash homechurch and check out our home churches that are gathering together around these teachings throughout the week. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. Hey, if you're just joining us today, we are continuing our Kingdom Values series. Uh, But before we jump into that, who was here for Team Brave Sunday last week? Wasn't that awesome? We started off celebrating some wins of some of our different serving teams, and then we heard an inspiring talk on putting others first, the Kingdom value of putting others first. And I just want to share something kind of cool with you guys. Afterwards, we went out on the lawn. We had games, ice cream sandwiches, but we also had booths set up for all of our different serving teams. And 16 people decided to put others first by joining a serving team. So let's give them a hand. I love that our community here, that we're excited about what God's doing and that we want to get in the game and we want to serve and be involved. And so that's really cool. Um, But today, we're going to jump straight into the scriptures. If you didn't get notes, raise your hand, and our ushers will get those to you. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 50, continuing in the Gospel of Mark, where we have been learning about a value-based way of living that's counter to the culture around us. And in this passage, there are a lot of interesting metaphors, and so I just want to give you a disclaimer up front. If you're a little confused, you're like, what's that all about? There's going to be a lot of explanation, okay? So let's start in verse 42, and there's a spider on my podium. There we go. Close call. Um, if <laughs> Here we go. It's going to be interesting, guys. Uh, verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble... It will be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Let's pause there. That's intense. (laughs) What is Jesus talking about? Okay, I I actually think this is one of the most commonly misunderstood passages. I've always heard it quoted in relationship to children, and so that's one of the reasons that we can kind of miss the broader context here. Um, Jesus isn't just talking about the example that we set for, for young children. He's talking about anyone who is young in their faith. He's saying that if you know better and you use your influence in such a way that leads people away from God or pushes people away from God, he's saying we've got issues. And the other reason that we misunderstand this passage is that we aren't really aware of what a big deal drowning was in their culture. It wasn't just another way to die. It was one of the worst ways to die. There's the, he's talking about a millstone being thrown, put around someone's neck and being thrown into the sea. So what's with this? What is Jesus talking about? This form of punishment was familiar to Jesus and his disciples. In pagan cultures, the Syrians, Romans, Macedonians, and the Greeks, they did this to the worst kind of criminals, the lowest in their society, the people who did the worst things, because what they believed is that if you were drowned at sea, your soul would be trapped, hovering over the water forever. So Jesus has their attention. Verse 43, let's continue. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. 
And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. These are violent images, right? It's really gross if you think about it. There's a trend here. Jesus, he's making a really important statement, a warning, and then it's, it's escalating. It's like if you've ever been talking to someone and they're really passionate about something and they're getting really worked up and then it just keeps getting more and more, right? So that's what's happening here is Jesus is talking to his disciples about something that he takes very seriously. It's actually rumored that an early church father in the medieval era named Origen actually took this verse literally and castrated himself. Yikes, right? This is, this is weird. This is crazy. These are, these are shocking images, but I'm highlighting this because we need to be careful because when things are so extreme and they're so dramatic and they're so over the top, our tendency can be to disregard them. But Jesus is actually talking about something that has very real consequences. He's telling his disciples and he's saying to us, he's saying, wake up. Following me is an all-in thing. We no longer just represent ourselves. I'm not just speaking for Samuel anymore. You're not just speaking for you anymore. If you've claimed the name of Jesus, if you've been baptized, if you've publicly declared that your life is now committed to following Jesus, then your words, your opinions, how you steward your influence carries a greater responsibility. He's saying if you're not new in your faith anymore, you have new responsibility. You can't be new in your faith forever. You can't be the new kid at school for a whole year, right? You can't be the new neighbor on the block for an entire year. There's a point when you're following Jesus where your faith needs to mature and go to a new level. And when you go to that new level, there's a new responsibility. There's a new responsibility on social media. What you share, your words, they carry a different kind of influence. People who are young in your faith are looking to you as a reference point. When you give your opinion about politics, it's not just about your opinion, because as a follower of Jesus, you're also responsible to what is God's opinion? Am I filtering these things through the opinion of God? When someone asks you about a tough life situation or a divorce or a tragedy or evil in the world, you can give your opinion, but as a follower of Jesus, do you know what God says about some of these things? And if someone asks you, what do you think, as a follower of Jesus, one of the best things you can do if you don't know God's perspective, if you haven't studied the Bible, is say, you know what? I'm not sure. I need to look at the Bible. I need to see what God says about this. It's no longer just about our opinion, because the opinion that carries the most weight in our lives is the opinion of God. Here's the point. If you're no longer new in your faith, Are you aware of the new responsibility that you have and how it affects those around you? So let's continue. What does Jesus have to say next? He says, it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown in hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Turn to the person next to you and say, it just got weird. It just got weird. The Greek word... Gehenna, hell, is translated from two Hebrew words meaning Valley of Hinnom, a place south of Jerusalem where children were once sacrificed to the pagan god Moloch. 
Later, during the reforms of Josiah, an Old Testament king, this site became Jerusalem's dump. And there was a continual fire burning of garbage with worms in it, okay? And so in Jewish thought, the imagery of fire and worms vividly portrayed a place of future eternal punishment for those who deny God's salvation. And so check this out. Jesus used the word Gehenna 11 of the 12 times that he talks about hell. He's using it to vividly portray the unending punishment for those who refuse God. The essence of hell is this, unending torment and eternal exclusion from God's presence. Now, odds are in this room, we probably have collectively a lot of different views on hell, a lot of different views on heaven, a lot of different views on what hell is, what hell isn't. But biblically speaking, whether Gehenna is a literal depiction or not, it doesn't really matter. Because the point is, existence apart from God's presence is hell. Then in verse 49, it says, everyone will be salted with fire. There are actually 15 possible explanations, interpretations for what this could mean, but it's most commonly thought that everyone is literally referring to everyone, but then two groups of people. So for those who are not following Jesus, who deny his salvation, deny his free gift, it's a preserving fire meant uh, representing final judgment. And for followers of Jesus, this could be saying that there will come a time in all of our lives where we will be salted with fire, we will experience trials and suffering, but it's meant to produce something good in us. So what does this salt do? What does Jesus, he has some more to say about salt. In verse 50, he says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Salt is a rich metaphor because it has so many different uses. It preserves, protects, it adds flavor. In the ancient world, salt was a necessity of life. In Palestine, it had commercial value. People traded with salt. The main source of salt in Palestine was the area southwest of the Dead Sea. And in this area, there was impure salt from saline deposits, and they were susceptible to deterioration. And when they deteriorated, the salt had no flavor. It lost its saltiness. And when that happened, it was worthless. And there was no way to make it savory again. Jesus has a vision for all of us that we would have salt in us, that preserves our faith and adds flavor to our lives. Without salt, our faith is weakened and it can lose its flavor. And a flavorless life lacks purpose, significance, love, compassion. Many in this room can probably think of someone, someone they know that once had faith and has, has since walked away. Their, their, their faith has become flavorless. Maybe something tragic happened, a difficult circumstance in their life, and when their expectations weren't met, instead of this, this trial by fire, so to speak, producing some, something deeper inside of them, instead of leaning into God and allowing him to use the suffering to do something, to do a deeper work in our lives, it became flavorless salt. How has your life changed as a result of following Jesus? How has following Jesus changed? made you different. If you're here today and you haven't decided what you believe or you haven't committed to following Jesus, you need to know that I believe that my life is better with Jesus. Without Jesus, it's all about me. 
I would give in to anything that looks good. I would have no reason to be faithful, no self-control, and no hope. But with Jesus, I have peace. When, when I'm growing in discipline or learning to walk through suffering or sacrifice, it's not to earn something. It's for love. It's for God. It's for others. I live with an eternal perspective. With Jesus, my life is different. And isn't that why many of us are here? If life with Jesus was no different, would we be here? Jesus is using violent images, extreme metaphors, to say that the outcome of life with me is the best way forward, but he's also saying something else. He's saying that faith must be protected. We don't think of faith as something that needs to be protected. We think of it as something you have or you don't have. We think of it as something that some people have more of, others have less of. But according to Jesus, some of us need to be careful. Otherwise, we might damage or choke the seed of faith that's sprouting up in the life of someone around us. For others who are new to faith, we need to be aware of who and what is influencing our faith. There are more people and things that are influencing our faith than we're aware of. Did you know that your work influences your faith? We've got a lot of great companies here in the Bay, a lot of um, companies that believe in, in imparting values to their employees and trainings and teachings and all of these things. But what about when your company's values or your boss's values aren't in alignment with kingdom values? Are you aware when there's a tension? Are you wrestling through that? Or non-religious podcasts, not just spiritual podcasts, but things that we're watching on YouTube or, or listening to or even shows that we enjoy, entertainment. Listen, everyone is preaching. Everyone is preaching something. It's not just entertainment. Everyone has something that they want you to think, feel, or do. Discernment is the ability to see through to the heart of the matter to see beyond the packaging and the presentation, to see through and to say what's really going on here, to have spiritual eyes, to see the, the true impact. And so you see, some of us, we have a gift of discernment. For others, it's developed. You know, we need to spend, we all need to spend more time in scripture. It's one of the ways that we begin to see through God's lens, through kingdom values. For others, we need to surround ourselves with people. If you're new to faith and you're in this room, you need to surround yourself with people. Get into a home church where there are people that can help you see things that maybe you're missing. So today, I want to talk to you about protecting your faith. And the first thing in your notes, the starting point to protecting your faith, number one, is to know what's at stake. Jesus wanted it to be unmistakably clear. He used scary examples. He, he talked about cutting off limbs, drowning, one of the worst ways you could die. This is really scary stuff because he wanted us to know what's at stake. Eternity without him, outside of his presence. See, this isn't a popular message that there's only one way to salvation. It's not a popular message. This isn't a sitcom comedy. We don't just, we're not just going to sprinkle in some sarcastic humor, just kind of lighten the, lighten the blow. Like Jesus is intense right now. He's not making jokes. This is life or death. This is eternity at stake. The possibility of eternity without him is real. It's scary. And it's nothing that God wants for anyone. Do we know what's at stake? Maybe you've been checking out Brave, you're kicking the tires of faith, you haven't decided yet what you believe, we're so glad that you're here. And if you've been coming for any length of time, you know that there's no hard sell at the end of this talk. We don't pressure people into faith. 
But we can't ignore the words of Jesus. There's an old saying that Christians used to say when they were trying to convert people. They'd say, turn or burn. It's crazy. And they put it on like posters or shouted at things, at people and all this stuff. And there's a problem with that approach. A, cu- a couple. And the first one is that most Christians get hell wrong. Okay, there's a big difference between eternal torture and eternal torment. God doesn't torture people. Okay, God, uh, he's goodness, he's order, and he's love. So any place devoid of that is evil, chaos, and hate. That's torment. Being stuck in a place completely void of God, knowing everyone else is in a place of eternal joy. That's torment. The second problem is if someone really grasps the horror of hell, they should be really sad about it. Not shouting it at people, definitely not happy when they're talking about it. There's a story of two old men, and they're sitting on a porch, and they're talking, and they're talking about the new young pastor in their town. And one of them says, I really like the new pastor better than the old pastor. And he says, well, why? And he says, well, the old pastor talks a lot about hell and judgment. And he says, okay, well, what about the new pastor? He said, well, he talks about it more than I like too, but when the new pastor talks about it, he talks about it with tears in his eyes. Hell should bother us. It should sadden us. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, there should be some grief for those who haven't yet decided their eternity. I believe God is love. I believe he is gracious. I believe he's full of compassion. Often when we're having these kinds of conversations, the first place people go is, well, what about people in some remote part of the world, like some jungle that have never heard the gospel, right? My, my, my response to that would be, what does that have to do with you? See, my God's big enough to have that one figured out. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He's full of love. I don't have all the answers, but I trust him. But all that matters right now in this moment is how you and I respond to that reality. If it's your first time here and, and you're still processing faith, I'm, I'm not trying to scare you, and I promise it's not always this intense. But if God is speaking to you, Maybe today's your day. Maybe today's your moment to respond to the gospel. For followers of Jesus, how are you protecting your faith? Do we love others enough to consider them and their journey and where they're at and how our actions might affect them? The Bay Area needs us to be people who see faith as something that's worth sharing and protecting, something that we're aware of, something that we notice, something that our heart breaks for, the people around us, So number two, let's get really practical. What's one of the most important things that you and I can do to help others is deal with our own sin. Deal with our own sin. Jesus took sin very seriously. Verses 43 through 47, it talked about doing whatever it takes to avoid stumbling. He took it so seriously. He said, if it's your hand, cut it off. If it's your foot, cut it off. If it's your eye, pluck it out. Is there anything in your life that needs to change? that's blocking you, that's keeping you from a greater intimacy with God. So we all have struggles, every single one of us in this room. We have areas of temptation. For some of us, these things are obvious. For others, especially as, as you grow and, and maybe get past some of the obvious things, there's always something. We're, we're always growing. We always have room. None of us in this room is Jesus yet. Maybe Mama Lou, but she's the only one, okay? <laughs> well, I wanna do something right now. We're gonna bow our heads together. We're not done yet, but we're going to bow our heads, close our eyes, and we're going to pray. And and if you're with me, we're going to ask God 
ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us if there is anything in our heart that's keeping us from growing our faith, anything that is an enemy to our faith at this time. So go ahead and bow your heads. I want to pray for you. God, in this moment, for ourselves and those around us and for our faith to be made stronger, I pray that you would give us revelation about our lives, the thoughts would, would come to us if there's anything that you want us to be aware of. Maybe something we've already been aware of that we have been avoiding or anything that is keeping us from being closer to you and growing in our relationship with you. For some, maybe their eyes have caused them to sin. Some of us know that what we're looking at isn't good for us. It could be images or videos, things that lead us to lust. Or others, maybe it's jealousy, it's things that are that we're looking at or we're, or we're dwelling on too often that are causing us to be dissatisfied with where you have us because we're looking at where you have others, what you're doing in the lives of others. Maybe it's our hands and feet. Where are we going? What are we doing? Uh, we love to party here around Brave. We love to celebrate what God's doing. But for some, maybe it's more than a good time. Sometimes it's an escape. When we don't just enjoy the party, but we need the party. When at the end of the week, we need the weekend. When that need becomes something deeper and it doesn't lead us back to God, our true source, it's an enemy to our faith. We are God's hands and feet. For some of us, the enemy is attacking our purpose. If the enemy can't get you to do something that's clearly wrong or something that, that you would clearly object to or, or, or whatever that might look like, he'll distract you with good things that aren't your God things to do. God, I pray that you would make us more aware of the things that would attack our faith, that would make us less flavorful. The word amen means agreement, and if you're in agreement with this prayer, that God would reveal anything in your life that might be an enemy to your faith, we're going to agree together. On the count of three, we're going to say amen. One, two, three. Amen. If God spoke to you, anything popped into your head, like in this moment as we're in prayer, it's only God speaking. And if anything came to your mind, I want you to hang on to that because there's something this week that we need to do with it. Number three, ask friends to help us strengthen our faith. Take your sin, take your struggle, bring it to a friend. The Bible says that when we confess our sins to God, we're forgiven. And a lot of us are really good at that. We're really good at asking God to forgive us. We know he'll forgive us. He's gracious. But the healing part, the changing part. The Bible says when we, when we confess our sins to one another, we find healing. Jesus said, have salt among yourselves. Be at peace with each other. We need each other for our faith to grow. And in, in a few weeks, our small gatherings start up. We've been talking about home churches. This is the heartbeat of our church. This is where we live life together. This is where we can open up. Where we can, this is where we can get down to what it means to live a life of faith on a day-to-day -day basis. We can't do this alone. Last week, we talked about putting others first, and a small gathering that Jesus was talking to, known as his disciples, were arguing about who's the greatest. And they're arguing about who's, who's the greatest, and they're comparing each other to one another, and they're trying to figure it out, or who does Jesus like more? But what they're missing is that Jesus brought them together and that they were going to need each other. He brought them together for friendship. He brought them together to share a mission. They were going to be the people that he started the greatest movement in all of history with. See, they were unique. They were different. They came from different backgrounds, different experiences. They had different convictions. Some of us feel stronger about some things than others. But even with all of our differences, we need each other. 
over the years, I've been fortunate to have some great friends, and there's a few that I've asked to help me grow in this season, and I want to tell you about them. Uh, one of them, his name is Dean Arnold, and he's an elder here. And we've been meeting up for a few years now, at least once a month, sometimes more. And the thing about our time together is we don't just talk about things we like. We don't just talk about, you know, good coffee. He's got like a crazy espresso machine. It's like so confusing, and I don't know how to work it. But um, no, I'm like the guy that was trying to make a latte, and the milk's like everywhere, you know. Uh, but we talk, about, we talk about what God's doing in our lives. We talk about what God's doing in our church. You know, hours go by. And it's meaningful conversation, and we're growing because of it. I have a friend, his name is Michael, and he lives in Southern California. And God brought him into my life at a really timely moment. And we, we, we text a few times a week or, or hop on a call, and he's been an accountability partner in my life for, for some time now. And my life's better because he's in it. Um, I'm in a cohort right now, a master's cohort, and we're studying theology, and I meet up with a group of pastors around the Bay Area once a month, and this guy named Gary Bershears, I call him Yoda, and he teaches us, and we, we learn all about God, but we're also walking through life with one another and, and praying for each other and what God's, what God's doing in our different churches, and so I've also been in a home church um, for years, and this last season, there was a transition, and for the first semester... I got a taste of what it's like to not be plugged into a home church. It was horrible. Like, I can't wait for this fall. I can't wait to get back in. I mean, home church has changed my wife and I's lives. Like, she, she was in a home church before we were dating when she was just coming to faith. And it's amazing what God does, the transformation that happens in home churches. Um, brave staff, our team, we're not just coworkers, we're family. The conversations that happen in our meetings and in our hallways and outside of that, because we're not just coworkers, we hang out outside of being here too. And we're growing together. This last week, I started up a new group of guys and we've, we're going through books together. I've got a photo and um, the one in the middle, he's a little young, but we see great things in him. And uh, we're, we're, we're Actually, Chris, who's two guys in from the left, we've been meeting up for a couple of years now, and we've gone through a, a bunch of different books together and grown together, and so we just decided to invite a few people to join us. Guys, it's easy to do life without other people at a surface level. It's easy to just have your friends you have fun with, your friends that you do cool things with. It, it takes intentionality to grow together. And there's conflict. There's a, a famous proverb that describes great friendships as being iron sharpens iron. There's, there's conflict in that. There's two things colliding, and they're not the same afterwards. But you know what's beautiful about intentional spiritual friendships is that when the foundation is Jesus, even in conflict, there can be peace. Some of you might be thinking, well, well how's that possible? I mean, when, when my family has conflict or when my friends, when we have conflict, it gets ugly. There's no peace. But when Jesus says, be at peace, in essence, he's saying, when you're loyal to me, you'll be at peace with one another. The foundation of, of great spiritual friendship is, is two people that are committed to Jesus above all else. See, oftentimes we think about that when we're learning about marriage, a biblical view of marriage, but, but God's vision for that goes way beyond marriage. It's for an entire community. The Bible says that they'll, they'll know you are mine by your love for one another, by your unity. This might seem like a radical concept, but that's the nature of kingdom values is they're radical, that we could be in a community that cares more about God's perspective than being right, that cares more about God's best for one another than God's best for me 
or God's best for you. So in a few minutes, we're going to pray and we're going to respond in a song of worship and it's called Come to the Altar. And for some of you, quite literally, you may want to walk up here and pray. For others, you may want to come over to the prayer team or at the end of the gathering, every gathering here at Brave, prayer is available. But I want to encourage you with something. If God spoke to you when we were praying or if he speaks to you during this song, don't just keep it between you and him. Our faith is not just personal between us and God. To grow, to really grow, to find healing in our lives, we've got to take it to friends that we can say, hey, would you help me grow? Would you help me in this area? And I guarantee you, if you work up the courage, if you're brave enough to go to a friend with your struggle, with your weakness, with your sin, they're probably looking for a friend like you too. So I want to encourage you this week, let's beat each other to that conversation. Would you stand with me? God, I pray for our time together, and I just pray that your voice would be loudest in our minds, that our hearts would be at peace, that we would take the things that you're showing us for our good, for our benefit, so that we could be a greater blessing that any areas in our lives that maybe they've been in, there's areas in our hearts that have been untouched for years, and you're saying, now's the time. Bring this to me. I'll forgive you, but I want you to walk forward and find healing in this season. God, I thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only he can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.